0: Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church, of parable. We begin today reading from Ephesians 4, 1-16, also printed in your bulletin, your order of worship, uh, but available on the screens as well. So follow along uh, as you are able. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it is said when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts. He now descended to the same one who has ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave to his people were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all... All of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ for whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. And then our second lesson comes from the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, a little bit shorter reading from here. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We now, we no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, it is with thanksgiving in our hearts that we gather to worship today as we join in singing and are led in worship by the children, as we wave our palm branches and remember the hosannas that were sung so many centuries ago, as we share in fellowship with one another, as we give our gifts, as we prepare to celebrate Easter, as we go on this journey with Jesus through Holy Week. May all these acts of worship, may all of these acts of devotion and discipline Help to guide us to better know you, to more faithfully follow you. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I was saying before we began reading the scripture, we've been using the Apostles' Creed here in Lent, uh, looking at each phrase, each article, uh, and sort of trying to unpack it. And so the sermons during this season have been a little bit more heady, trying to do some teaching, trying to encourage you uh, to think about these matters and why they're important. And so today will be be kind of the last week of that. Next week I'll try to bring some more funny stories for Easter. Amen? Is that good? Yeah? All right. But today you're getting teaching, okay? So buckle up, and we're going to review some of these uh, key key things and why um, why I think they're so important. All right, so if you're looking at the Apostles' Creed, last year, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. That's where we wrapped up. And so today we begin with this phrase, uh, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So when you're looking at the Apostles' Creed, the first thing that you see there it, with today, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then the tone begins to shift. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then the next thing it says is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So notice today as we look at the last few articles of the Creed uh, that we're shifting from looking at uh, doctrines and statements about God and God's character, Creator, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit. We're shifting from looking to to statements about God and God's character to looking to statements about the church and about uh, those who have uh, continued on uh, Christ's ministry after he has gone. So that first phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church. When we talk about the church, when we talk about the church in Christian theology and in Christian tradition, uh, we are not talking about just another social gathering. We're not talking about just another social gathering. Now you have many opportunities to engage with folks socially, you go to clubs and events and parties, you have circles, you have rings of networks, all of those things are, are good and helpful, uh, it'd be tempting to think about the church as just another obligation, another social obligation, hey there we go, they got it going for us, yeah no you're good, go back one, go back, two. yep, right. go go back, go backwards, <laughs> oh they're loading them one by one, that's what they're doing, all right, very good, Madeline's giving me hand signals, we're back to the baseball hit hit and run, so. All right, I can work. I can work with what you got up there now. All right, go back to that one about Holy Catholic Church. So, all right, very good. Hey, there we go. So when we talk about the Holy Church, what we're saying is um, that there is something in the Church that uh, is uniquely important and uniquely different, right? That the Church itself is a part of Christian doctrine and Christian teaching. When we say we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, who was put to death and who was resurrected and who is now ascended. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. We believe this is who God is. And we believe in the church. We believe in the church. Not just that we think the church is a good idea. Not just that we think the church is helpful. But we actually think that church is part of the, part of the doctrine, right? Part of what it means to, to be a Christian, it's not an optional add-on. It's not just something we do occasionally. It's not just something we come to when it's convenient. We believe the church exists as God's presence at work in the world. So the, the creed says the holy church, the holy Catholic church. The holy in this case just means those who have been baptized, those who have been set apart, right? We sometimes think of holy as, as, as something that's sort of set apart in a way that's maybe distant or unattainable. That's not what it means in this case, right? We believe in the holy Catholic church, those who have been baptized, exist as a spiritual reality, a spiritual presence within the world. Now that next word, Catholic, gets a little bit more attention and causes a little bit more consternation. But notice in the Apostles' Creed, when we say the Holy Catholic Church, that this is little c Catholic, little c Catholic which is not the same as Roman Catholic, right? Roman Catholic refers to a particular church tradition. We have uh, many friends over at St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church. That's capital C Catholic. This little C Catholic predates that use of the capital C Catholic, and it just means universal. It just means universal. It's a Greek word, katholikos. It just means universal. Today we read from Ephesians 4 as Paul was writing, and Paul said it this way, there is one body, one spirit, you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father above all, through all, and in all. So when we say we believe in the church, we don't just believe in the church, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church. The universal church. Which means this morning across Paragold, as congregations are beginning to worship Roman Catholic and Lutheran and Presbyterian and Baptist and Episcopalian and non-denominational Though we may be in different churches, different local churches, we are all part of one church. We're part of one church. And so when we say the Holy Catholic Church, we mean the universal church. Wherever Christ is recognized and proclaimed as resurrected and worshipped, then that is the church. That's the church. And we're all part of the same church. And so that has a few implications. Because the church is universal, it means any time, any place, any culture, any language. Because the church is universal, anyone and everyone are included. Right? This is Paul's main preaching point. After Jesus' resurrection, Paul spends his life committed to this truth. Whether you're Jew or Greek, you are now welcomed, you are included in this new thing that is happening in the world. It doesn't matter what culture you come from, if you come from Europe or Africa or South America or Perigold or Brazil or Russia or China. This is the universal church. And so all are welcomed and included. Because it's the universal church, it is available to all and it applies to everyone. The gospel truths that we proclaim from Scripture, the sermons that we give here in Paragold, they're true for everyone. Right? Now, they may be unique to our culture. We may use illustrations. We may use a vernacular, a language that's unique to this time and place. But the gospel itself and the church that believes it is timeless. And because the church is universal... As hard as we may sometimes try, the church cannot be divided. The church cannot be divided. Paul says so clearly, and this is part of, part of teaching and, and tradition that's so important to me. Paul says there is one God of all. There's one faith and there's one baptism. Now, we sometimes have our differences. We sometimes have different buildings and different worshiping hours and different musical styles, right? But we don't have the power and we certainly don't have the authority to divide Christ church, to divide Christ church. We are one church, even when we worship in different times and different places with different styles. We are one church, for we're all part of the same body. So I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The next phrase that's a little bit weird is, I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the communion of saints. So let's talk about why that, that word is used. Well, the first sense in which you probably hear or know the word saints, again, comes from the Roman Catholic tradition. And I would just remind you that we were, we were all Catholic until about 700 years ago, right? Uh, the Protestant Re- Reformation began in Europe. And so there's much of the Roman Catholic tradition that's our tradition, right? I mean, that's a shared tradition. And so it was across the Roman Catholic tradition that there began to be a particular process, a formal process, what we call canonization. Canonization for recognizing and affirming uh, particular leaders in the church who had unique spiritual gifts, unique blessings, who did unique work in the life of the church. And so that's been going on for some time in the Roman Catholic tradition where individuals are recognized and affirmed and are celebrated. And so we kind of think of that as the capital S saints, capital S saints, right? And you've heard of saints recognized in that way. Uh, Sometimes you will hear to the Apostle Paul referred to as St. Paul, right? Or the early disciple Peter referred to as St. Peter because they were later recognized and affirmed and celebrated for their unique contributions to the church. So they get a capital S St. We have other historical figures like St. Augustine, an important teacher in the tradition of the church. St. Teresa of Avila is an important figure as well. There are thousands of saints that have been recognized and canonized. We even have modern saints, St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, St. Oscar Romero, the bishop in El Salvador, who worked on behalf of the poor and the downtrodden there. So that's one way in which the word saint is used. But there is another way uh, in which it's being used here in the Apostles' Creed, which is a much more general sense, much more general sense. When the Scriptures and when the Apostles' Creed refer to saints, that literally just means anyone who has been baptized, right? If you've been baptized, then you have been set apart as a follower of Christ, That's just true. That's how the New Testament works. And so Paul particularly, even today in Ephesians as we were reading, Paul uses the language of saints to refer to the church, right? So just a moment ago I was reading in Ephesians 4, there will be gifts made available, some will be apostles, some will be prophets, some will be evangelists, some will be pastors, some will be teachers, and they will equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. So in this sense, a little as saints, we really just mean all of you, right? We just mean all of you. Anyone who's been baptized, who's been set apart, who's been called to follow Jesus, who has responded, you are a saint, right, in this sense, right? You are someone who's seeking to live a holy life according to the work and will of Jesus Christ. So why does the creed say the communion of saints? Well, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, right? Communion. It just means that we're, we're kind of stuck together, right? That there's no such thing as someone who worships Jesus and follows Jesus who's been baptized. There's no such thing as a saint, a follower of Jesus, who does that as an individual, right? There's no such thing as an individual Christian, an independent Christian. And so what the Creed says is we believe in the communion of saints, the communion of saints which means we're together, right? We have to do this thing together at church, right? We're bound together. You can't go out and be a Christian on your own, living privately in the woods. That might be tempting sometimes, right? But that's not actually how it works. We believe we are a communion. And in fact, we take that, that communion word to mean even, uh, even beyond space and time as we know it, all right? Right? This is where the creed gets a little weird, but I kind of like it. You can think about All Saints Sunday in November. We gather and we remember those people who have died in the last year, members of our church or members of our families, and we call them saints, right, because they've passed from this life on to the next. They've died and they've gone on to their eternal glory. And so when we say communion of saints, we're we're talking about the people who gather on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night and in Sunday school. But we're also talking about all of the people who have come before us, right? All of the people who have come before us, who have worshipped Jesus before us, who have taught us to follow Jesus, who now rest from their labors. There's an eternal communion. Some of those are already gone on ahead of us. They're already worshipping Jesus in eternity. Some of us are still on this side of eternity, worshipping Jesus here and now. But we believe this communion, this common bond holds us together across time, across space, across even eternity. We believe in the communion of saints. I've been reading some other books along with, uh, we made that one book available to you by McGrath, and some of you have been reading it in your Sunday school classes. Uh, I've, I've of course, been reading some other materials. There's a a wonderful little book by a guy named Ben Myers, where he does something similar. He writes on the Apostles' Creed. He kind of reflects on the different phrases. Uh, And I was reading his book this week on the communion of saints, uh, ben Myers, this is a quote from his book uh, on the Apostles' Creed. He, he says it this way, and I thought this, this little quote was very helpful. He says this, Jesus wrote no books, established no institutions, did not lay down all the right answers to moral questions, did not seem particularly interested in founding a new religion. Jesus was the author of a new way of life. Everything Jesus believed was entrusted to his small circle of followers. He showed his way of living, loving, feasting, forgiving, teaching, and dying. And he invited his followers to live in the same way. Becoming a Christian is not about institutional membership. To become a Christian is to be included in the circle of Jesus' followers. So when we say in the Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in the communion of saints, what it means is like we believe this is a spiritual reality, an eternal spiritual reality, a gift that's given to us even here and now. Just as much as we believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just as much as we think those things are real, just as much as we believe in the resurrection, we believe in the church. We believe in the church. That this is God's way of helping us to better know God, to grow as more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, to understand healing and care and love. It happens right here. The Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Now, the next phrase that's included in the creed, and you will follow this logic with me, right? Because just listen to what the creed says. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. They're all together. We all love one another. We're all following Jesus. It's all good and great. We never have any problems, right? No. What does the creed say the very next line? I believe in the church. I believe in the communion of saints. And I believe in the forgiveness of sins, right? Because if you're going to spend time together, then you're sometimes going to have to forgive one another. Today on Palm Sunday, as we begin Holy Week, we remember the stories of the Hosannas as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And so today we read as we started our worshiping hour together from Luke's Gospel, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. And so as we read through Luke's Gospel or through the other Gospels, we have this vision that those closest disciples and then that sort of uh, next band of disciples who were following along. And then we have the, the crowd of disciples, right? And the crowd just kind of comes and goes and sort of travels with Jesus. And so here as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the crowd is gathered in a frenzy, joyfully celebrating Jesus as their Lord and as their King. We think that's a genuine, honest moment, that they were right to worship Jesus in that way. And so we do the same thing on Palm Sunday morning. We try to recreate that energy, right? Hosanna, Jesus is Lord. He has come to save us. Hosanna. Now, the irony of Palm Sunday that we know quite well is that if you just read a few more verses in Luke's Gospel, if you go from Luke 19 to Luke 21, the scene changes dramatically. The crowd is gathered around Pilate. Pilate is asking of the crowd, What has Jesus done? What are your accusations against him? As Pilate goes back and forth in the crowd, Luke's gospel records it this way They kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified. Crucify him, crucify him, and their voices prevailed. You see how quickly that story changes from Palm Sunday to Good Friday? And we sort of read it under the assumption that probably those were some of the same people. The same people who were excited to see Jesus on on one day are ready to see Him crucified the next. And so Holy Week and Palm Sunday and Good Friday, they sort of stand as a microcosm of the, the human condition. That though we are sometimes faithful and loving and excited about worshiping the Lord we are also sometimes selfish and violent and short-sighted and so when we think about this week we remember that we stand in constant need of forgiveness that's one of the themes of holy week we stand in constant need of forgiveness and yet we serve this loving and gracious God when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins we mean that in a very real way just like we believe in the resurrection, just like we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe in forgiveness. Like We think that is a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual reality that has been made available to us in and through the work of Jesus Christ. And so today I read from you 2 Corinthians 15. Paul uses the word reconciliation. He says there in 2 Corinthians 15 that that God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, not holding their trespasses against them, and that reconciliation is a ministry that has been given to Jesus' followers. Reconciliation in this case is sort of another word for forgiveness. And so we might translate Paul in just real simple terms. Jesus forgives us, And therefore, we forgive one another. Jesus forgives us, and therefore, we forgive one another. In fact, this is kind of like a task that we have been given. We've been told by Jesus, I forgive you, and love you, and welcome you, and therefore, you ought to do the same with one another. And in fact, not only is it a task, but it's like a necessary element of the church. Because we know the church is not pure, we know the church is often imperfect. The church is filled with broken and hurting people who sometimes do harm to one another. And so we have to constantly rely on God's faithfulness, forgiving us as we forgive one another. We believe in forgiveness, like we believe that forgiveness is a real thing, it really happens. That we can forgive one another, that relationships can be healed, that broken lives can be restored. It's not just a good idea. It's not just aspirational. We actually think it's a spiritual truth that exists here among us, among those who follow Jesus. Next week is Easter Sunday, right? I hope you've got that on your calendars, right? Uh, Next week, we will talk about these final bits in the Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, and so I'm going to save that for then. Today, I want you to take note of how seriously... The creed and the early followers of Jesus took the work and the nature of the church. In this creed, in this definitive statement about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means for God to be Creator, for God to be Trinity, in the most foundational early document we have, they included these statements. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. And I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And so it's my joy to remind you here on Palm Sunday as we begin Holy Week that being a part of a church, being a part of this church or another church is to participate in the ultimate spiritual reality. The ultimate spiritual reality. This is what God has chosen. Look around us, look among us, look at one another. God has chosen this tool, this means, this operation, this way of being together. This is the way that God works in the world and that we are reminding each other each time we come to church, each time we share in the creed that church is essential. Church is essential. Chase and I often observe, other pastors observe, it's not uncommon at all. We get a chance to visit with someone who's having a hard time. They're having a hard time in their life. They feel disconnected from God. They feel disconnected from the church. Right, that's a pretty common theme. And so we talk to people, how are you doing? We talk about some of their problems, we pray about them. And then we sort of ask them, well, ha- have you been to church lately? Would you consider coming to church sometime soon? What can we do to help, help get you plugged into church? And there's sort of a distance there. They say, no, nah, I don't think church is for me. Right? I don't think church is what I need. Right? And I just want to say the opposite. Like, no, you need church, right? <laughs> we all need church. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. But it is essential. Just as much as you believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just as much as you celebrate the resurrection, we believe in the church. It's not magical, but it is spiritual, and it is essential. And so today I'm going to invite you to join with me as we've done the last few weeks, as you're able to stand, and we'll join in the Apostles' Creed as the band comes forward and prepares for our final song. And I want to invite you to take seriously not just our statements about God and God's character and God's identity, but to take seriously also our call to be the church, and to believe in the church, and to join in the church. Let us say with one voice together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead, You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.